Well, it's good to see you all here on this uh, Christmas week. And uh, I know that for a lot of you, this is a week of anticipating getting together with family that you haven't seen for a while. Maybe your family's coming into town for a while, or maybe you're going to be heading out. Uh, It's a wonderful time to reconnect and to enjoy the blessing of family. And uh, we praise God for that privilege. Uh, We also know that at this time of life, for some, it's a hardship. Uh, Some people have lost a a dear loved one over this last year, or they're separated for them, or they're in a time of transition where uh, we just don't know what's going to happen next. And we just want you to know that as a pastoral staff, we will be uh, keeping you in our prayers during this time. And uh, we know that God's desire for you is to receive his comfort and his peace. Uh, We think especially, of course, of the Green family. And as uh, all of you know, the uh, memorial service was yesterday. We brought some bulletins from the uh, service yesterday that if you'd like one, there's some in the lobby. And uh, it was a a beautiful day of celebrating the grace of God and Anna's life. And we're thankful for that, that that could be uh, truly done. But uh, at the same time, we know that in our spirits, there's a what's wrong with the world that this could happen. How is it possible that such atrocity could take place in the hearts of such young children, that someone could come and do such devastation? And uh, we want things to be made right. We want the government to kick in. We want things to change so that somehow there's justice and righteousness done. Uh, And the starting place for any healing can't be what we can do in our own powers or what we can ask other people to do. It comes in surrender to God. And if one image sticks in my mind from yesterday from seeing the service Uh, It was during the first song, as soon as the music started, there was hardly any words off of our mouths. And there is all six foot eight of Jimmy like this. And his wife standing beside him with an elbow standing up. And thinking that's where healing begins. When we're frustrated with the world, when we're wondering what's happening, the first place to go is surrender to Christ and say, Lord, help me. Help me to trust you. And then use me however you wish to help change this world so it reflects more your desire for it. Help me not to make changes in my own effort. Help me to rely on you and your strength. And I think that we can be proud and honored to see that our friends, Nelba and Jimmy and Isaiah, have been doing that. And we thank God for that. It's in the big moments of life, both the joys and the trials, that we tend to see reality more clearly. And if we're listening to God, if we're sensitive to his leading, he reminds us about what our purpose in life is. And our purpose in life is to praise him, to acknowledge that everything that we are in Christ, everything that we have in this world, every good that we're able to participate in is solely by the grace of God. And he deserves our praise because he's God because of who he is. Not just what he's done in our lives. Not primarily for that, but primarily for who he is. And when we praise God, then we're ready to enter into life in a way that will make a change in the world for the glory of God. And the appropriate response to our going into Christmas and thinking about the goodness of God to send Christ is also to praise him. 
And today as we spend time in Psalm 103, that's the heartbeat of this psalm. This psalm is saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. David usually makes his psalms to other people, to other nations, or he addresses it to God. But this psalm he addresses to himself. And he says, David, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The starting place for praise is ourselves. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In this psalm, the word all is found nine times, and every time it talks about this total commitment. Everything I am, heart, soul, body, mind, strength, everything belongs to God. And that is how I'm supposed to worship him, with my whole being. We're not told the context of this psalm, but I'd imagine that right now, when David was writing this, that he probably wasn't at a high spot. He was probably experiencing maybe some discouragement, some depression. Maybe he was facing opposition to his leading as a king. And in these moments, he's reminding himself that the place to find life is by praising his God. I might not feel like it right now. Everything seems to be against me but I'm going to praise the Lord with my whole being because that's the only right choice. That's the only choice that will bring life. I included a quote there from Augustine. It says, The thought of you, God, stirs man so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises you because you made us for yourselves. Our, our hearts find no rest, no peace until they rest in you. We can look for different ways to find relief or joy but all of them are a dead end they all ultimately make things worse the only way that we can find peace and rest is by pursuing god and by praising him uh, last year i think it was probably around october or november i showed you this jar and i just said this is a a picture of how ideally i'd like life to be that this water is not as clear as it should be but it, it's clear and you can see things you can have a peace that of God's presence, you can have a piece of his leading in your day-to-day -day living, not just about the right or wrong, but just following, walking in the steps of the Spirit, as the Bible tells us to. And sometimes in life, this gets rocked a little bit, as it did during the first service, and that's why it was a little cloudy. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you just can't see as well. It's not so clear, what's the next step? What am I supposed to do? I, I, my peace with God, even though it's there, isn't felt as much. And it's a time of confusion. And the only way to change this isn't by trying to go in the reverse way or pushing everything down or trying to sieve the water. It's just by allowing it to rest. I don't know if this is true for you, but that happens in my life so often that I can be busy doing good things. And all of a sudden I realize, wow, I'm not even sure if I'm listening to God right now in this. I know I'm doing good things, but... Am I really honoring him by being with him, by, by following his leading, or am I just doing things by rote? And God says, be still and know that I am God, Doug. Let your heart be calm, and it takes more than five seconds. It takes more than 15 minutes. Find times where you are still and you rest. And then things become clear. And I think that's what David was doing in this psalm. He was reminding himself to praise the Lord and to rest in that praise. 
Peace comes with contentment in Christ and not in doing things for him. We need to abide in Christ and enjoy the blessing of him and then to acknowledge the blessings he gives us. Anxiety, I think, comes when we're really busy, when we're distracted, when we're striving. And then we tend to forget about the blessings of God. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What do you see? When I hold this up, what do you see? Right? We see a black dot. If I held up this instead, what would you say you see? A white page. Sometimes we kind of forget about God's continuous blessings. We see the things that are kind of striking us in the face. We say, oh yeah, there's God's blessing. And, And we forget that our whole life is surrounded by the blessing of God. We're not as observant that, oh, there's a white sheet there too, right? We, we saw it here, but we didn't voice it before because, well, it's obviously the black dot, right? And sometimes in, in our life with God, that's how blessings are. We, we notice big things. We notice the things that stand out, uh, but we don't notice the things that are always there. Like we live in God's common grace all day long, and, and God wants us to be mindful of that. All God's gifts are benefits, whether they're bright or dark. And it's true that we don't deserve any blessing, and yet we are very quick to forget them. I don't deserve this, and yet I take it for granted. And that's not honoring to God. We must be very specific in directing our memory towards acknowledging the goodness of God in our lives. The opposite of forgetfulness is praise. So if we're forgetting to thank God, we really need to have the discipline of praise. And there's that song for children, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. That's so true. We need to do that continually to remind ourselves of God's presence with us and his goodness. It's easy to complain about life, but David lists a a number of things that we should give God praise for. And the next three verses, verses 3 to 5, list six things in particular that we should praise God for. And the first one is that he forgives us for all our sins. Uh, This is foundational. In order to appreciate God, we must actualize, we must take hold of the forgiveness he offers us in Jesus Christ. If we're going to live with him and be blessed by him, we must make use of of the way that he has made possible for us to be right with him. And that's through Jesus Christ. So if we want to recognize the benefits, we must recognize that we are forgiven in Christ and all our sins are forgiven. And we need to thank God for that and we need to live in that forgiveness. When your past sins keep coming back into your mind, you need to tell Satan to go away because those are forgiven. We have life in Christ, not death. And when our thoughts lead towards death, we know that that's not something of God. When God makes me aware of my sin, you know what ends up happening? I end up confessing and then praising God that I can be forgiven. That I am not condemned by that sin. That I am not bounded by that sin. But that I have life in his forgiveness. So the first thing is, remember that he forgives all our sins. Secondly, he heals all our diseases. This verse is a little confusing because I think, if you're like me, I get sick. Uh, I, I get sick at times, and we see people who are sick, genuinely sick, and, they, and deal with that day in, day out. 
this verse is not talking about that. And we know that because when Jesus was walking with his disciples and the disciples met a man who was going blind, they asked, Lord, who's, uh, whose sin is this due to, his parents or himself? And Jesus said it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with he will be glorified in this. God will glorify himself in this man through this sickness. Paul said, Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh. Can you take it away from me? It says three times in particular, he said, Lord, I can't live with this. I don't want this. Take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So we know that this verse isn't saying that we aren't going to have sickness this side of heaven. What it is acknowledging, I think, is that all sin does or all sickness does originate because we live in a world that has sin. If we were in Eden, or when we were in heaven, sickness will be no more. But in this time in between, sin has its, its toll on us in different ways, maybe not by our personal sin, but just the sin that has invaded this world, and there is sickness. But God says all that is going to be healed. Maybe it won't be today, but it will be. You face a life with Christ in eternity that has no sickness. God redeems your life from the pit. It's one thing to say that we're forgiven. It's another thing to say that we can be redeemed. My sin is forgiven. It is put away from me. But my life can be redeemed. This is a beautiful picture. This is one of my favorite things in the gospel story, that there is nothing wasted in our life. My sinful past, God can use to still glorify him. My area of greatest weakness, God can use to glorify him when his strength is shown in it. Any single thing that the Satan would say, that in your past is too wicked, that is too shameful, God can't use that, no one should know about it, that's exactly what God wants to work in to bring him glory. Because we're not bound by our sin when we've given it to God. That doesn't define us. And God wants to use that exact thing that once held us bondage. He now wants to use our testimony to help free people who are stuck in that bondage because they don't have Christ. He can redeem everything in our lives. And that's beautiful. Sometimes this redeeming, I think, isn't just activities or events. It's maybe thought lives or lifestyle. I'd say one of the areas that God has redeemed for me is the struggle with anxiety that as a teenager in my early 20s, facing all the time, just feeling anxious. And over the years, God continually reminding me that, Doug, you don't have control. You might think that you can control this or you can impact this. You don't have control. I do. Trust me. Rest in me. Give everything to me. And I will give you a peace that passes understanding. And I look back in my life and I think, man, so much time wasted being anxious about stuff. And God says, no, don't live like that anymore. Rest in me, have peace in me. Allow people to know that in me there is peace that, again, passes understanding. The next blessing is that he crowns us, crowns you with joy and with love and compassion. Now, let's remember, this is David talking to himself. He crowns me, he's saying to himself, he crowns me with love and compassion. David was crowned. He was king. He ruled a nation. He was given real responsibility to lead that nation into honoring God and to conquer other nations where God told them to go. But he says right now, Okay, you're king, but remember that what God has really crowned you with is with love and compassion. And you're responsible 
to show that to the people that you lead, the people that you're in connection with. And God says that for us as well. We are crowned with love and compassion. How do we allow that to impact the people that we come in contact with in, uh, day in and day out? The next one is that he satisfies your desires with good things. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, he satisfies you with goodness. I like that. Somehow it doesn't seem as material. Uh, it may be, I know David didn't mean that, but when I read this, who satisfies your desires with good things, for me it means more, it says, he satisfies you with goodness. More or less, he satisfies you with himself. When you need something, check what you're needing, because the satisfaction will be found in God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not all the material things you think you need, or we need, but him. He will give us himself, and he will make us like him by his grace. Every good thing about him, God says, I wanted to see developed in your life through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. The last blessing is that he renews our strength. The youth is renewed like that of an eagle's. I don't know this, but I'm assuming maybe David wrote this and he's a little bit older at the time and maybe he's not feeling so youthful. He's not the David that used to, uh, who, who used to kill lions with his sling or went up and fought Goliath. Or he's not the David who was maybe writing music all the time and singing to King Saul to bring peace to his spirit. Maybe he was feeling a bit of his age. And he's saying, but you know what? When I praise the Lord, I can be renewed in my spirit and I can live like a young man with that energy. And with more maturity now, I can praise God with who I am by his grace. When we start to praise God, we can't keep it to ourselves. Eventually, we, enjoy, we invite others to join us. And that's what David does in this psalm. Starting from verse 6, he starts to invite the nation to praise with him. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in love. The context of this is the Israelites being in bondage in Egypt and then God using Moses to free them. This is the, what the passage is talking about. And you can be sure that the people all those years as slaves in Egypt were wondering, where is our God? Where is righteousness? Where is justice? We're stuck here. And even after the 40 years when they're wandering, hopefully they realize that that wandering had to do with their own choices. But during that time, I'm sure they wondered, where is God? But God's righteousness and justice is always constant. He can't be anything but that. He is perfect righteousness. He is perfect justice. And sometimes we see that immediately, and sometimes we only see that eventually. But it's true nonetheless. He never changes. And the one thing about God is that his patience is for the blessing of others. Sometimes we wonder, God, why aren't you acting now? And God says, I am patient because I don't want anybody to perish. That doesn't usually make us feel good when we're on the tail end of receiving injustice. When we're saying something needs to be done. But when we're the ones who need mercy, aren't we thankful that God is patient with us? Aren't we thankful that he doesn't just do justice on us right away, that he's patient and loving and kind and merciful. As David broadens his invitation to join praise of God, 
it's instructive to note that David begins with a definite fact of God's revelation to Moses. He's not making up a God that he wants to worship. Hey, I like these kind of things. I, I have this, and, I, and I'll praise a God of my own making. He praises a God who has made himself known historically through self-revelation. And we have this in his word. David goes back to the word of God and says, I'm going to worship God as he has made himself known. To the God who says, I am who I am to Moses. To the God who said to Moses after he's getting the second commandments again. David, if you remember Moses the first time he was going down the mountain and he got mad, he, he broke the tablets. He had to go back up again and ask God for the Ten Commandments again to be written. And it says that after he received them, Yahweh passed in front of him. And this is what he said. This is what God proclaimed about himself. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth. A beautiful picture of who our God is. And we've heard that phrase a number of times throughout this year, that love and truth have to go together. And in God, they are perfectly together. Uh, if they were separate, it would be dangerous. Uh, but God, having those things together is, is exactly uh, who God is and how we are meant to live in him. At Christmas time, we're blessed to remember that God has also further revealed himself throughout Scripture to the point where we get to meet Jesus, our Emmanuel, our God with us, the God who is always present. And what a beautiful blessing that is. But for us to experience God's presence, our sin needs to be dealt with. Our sin needs to be given to God. Verses 9 to 10 talk of this. He will not always accuse us, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I read a quote this last week, and it says, God's anger is like lightning, and his love is like sunshine. That is beautiful. God's anger is like lightning. His love is like sunshine. Whatever his chastisements, they have been less than our sins. How has God treated us? Definitely not the way we deserve. If I was treated as I deserve, I would be isolated from God. I would be cast out from his presence. There would be nothing good that I would experience because of who I am. But because of God, he invites me into intimacy and to receive the fullness of life in him. All good things come from God. We deserve isolation and wrath, and he gives us intimacy and abundant blessing. What a beautiful, selfless God we have. When you look at the life of Christ, everything he did on earth was out of selfless love for us and to glorify his Father so that we could have an abiding relationship with him. And Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The Bible says that the world was condemned already. We were separated from God. So Jesus didn't have to come to tell the world you're condemned. He came to seek and to save. When we think of Christ, that's always his intent. He wants to seek and to save. And he wants to use us for that end as well. And when we praise God, we're reminded of our purpose. To bring honor to him. And part of that is by letting others know about the goodness of God. The next phrase, verse 11 and 12, says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Our abiding in God's love is based on the fact that we fear him, that we have a humble respect of who he is, that we submit to him. 
I was trying to think of a, of a picture that could help explain what fear of God looks like. And, and the best thing I could think of is uh, a few weeks ago, I was driving on the highway. I was in the States, so I'm doing my 75 miles an hour. And uh, just driving, listening to music, you know, a cup of coffee. I'm not sure if there was one hand on the wheel or not. But all of a sudden, you had one of those moments where the car just goes, and you're like, whoa! And you go back on, and you just feel this like adrenaline rush. Like, it's like, whoa, what just happened? And you just straight and narrow, got my eye on the road, everything's good, right? And, and, and it's just this reminder, like, I'm driving a hunk of metal at 75 miles an hour. My life could be like that at any moment. And yet, I'm just peaceful and restful, not even thinking about it. That's sort of how the fear of God is. God doesn't want us to live like, oh, i got to hold on to this wheel so tight. But he wants us to be mindful that as soon as we take our eyes off of Christ, we're heading for destruction. And but by the grace of God, we would. But God brings us back on track when our lives are submitted to him. If you don't drive, maybe the other illustration would be when you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you slip and you catch yourself. That's the same kind of feeling for me. That makes me think now of fear of the Lord. Lord, thank you for that gift because that helps me keep on the straight and narrow uh, when life has its temptations. Luke 2, 9 to 10 the angels appear to the shepherds, and it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The shepherds see the glory of God, and they are rightfully scared, as any of us would be if we saw God more fully in his glory. If we saw angels, we would want to bow down and worship them or flee for our lives because of the glory that they have just because of their connection with God. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Instead of running away, go to the person who is your Savior. Go to Jesus. So the shepherds go to Jesus, and when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they were told. I think that night, the shepherds understood a bit of what it means to fear the Lord. And they understood that the fear of the Lord does not ever drive you away from God. It always drives you to Him. And when you're drawn to God and you see the goodness of God and you see the mercy of God, you can't help but want to invite others into that. You can't help but to praise God for how good He is. And that praise is what's contagious. It's not contagious when we tell people that they have to praise God. It's contagious when we are praising God and people see that. That's what this life is about. Having our focus on God and loving him fully with our lives. That's the testimony that people need to see, not just hear. They need to see that in our lives. Our fear brings freedom. The verse here says that as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. That is simply saying that when God deals with our sin, it is dealt with. We don't have to think about it again. It's dealt with. He will redeem our past. We'll be revisiting some of those th areas of our life that are tough, that are hard. But when we revisit it, it will only be to don't know God's glory more clearly, to see God's grace expressed, to use it as an area of ministry towards others. But it will never be to condemn us for sin. David wants us to know that as a father has compassion on his children, this is verse 13, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God is like a father. He's tender and compassionate. And his compassion is directly related to his children, to those who fear him. 
God designed fatherhood to be a portrait of himself. I was thinking about this this last week, that before God created anything, before he was God the creator, he was already God the Father. The Trinity has always existed. It didn't just pop into being one day. It's always been there. So he's always been God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is a very precious name to God for us to, to acknowledge him by. He wants us to know that he is a good father. And when we see good fathering in this life, we're made, of a good picture, we're made aware of a good picture of God. Proverbs tells us that if a father loves his children, if he shows compassion on them, he, he disciplines them. Discipline does not mean punishment. It means showing them the way of life. And the Bible, 2 Timothy says, the way of life is the instruction in love. You teach your children how to love. But we also know that in this world, all of our fathers are imperfect. All our fathers have had sin. They, they don't do a, a, always a, a fantastic job. But God says, You're, you learn something about me through your father, and you, you need to know that I am a father who is unlike any other. I love you perfectly with full compassion, with loving discipline. My instruction will lead you towards life, not death. So praise God for, for him being our father. The next verses highlight one of the motives for God's mercy towards us, and this is verses 14 to 16. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. Those don't sound like happy-go-lucky verses to me. Those are hard verses. They're saying, you're not going to last long, Doug. Your life is like grass, and you're going to be gone in a moment. Wow, okay. Well, the point here isn't to depress me or to depress you. The point is to say that God shows compassion on us because he knows that's true. He knows how frail I am. He knows how frail you are. And that's why he shows his compassion. His unloving, his undying love for us and compassion. And that's a beautiful thing. And then think of this, that God in his love sent his son to be born in that fragile state. But Jesus, for his life on earth, gave up that ability to be all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, and he became man who is made of dust. That tells you something about how secure our God is in himself. He has no fear. There is nothing in this world that God fears. He has perfect assurance of his capability to handle the world, the universe. So much so that he could send his son to be born in a little manger and be at the whims of mankind for 33 years. God says, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I can, I, can, I can handle that. And I think that's hugely wonderful for us to know. One last thing there about Christ is that uh, in Christ we see what normal humanity is meant to be. Right? Adam, no sin, lived in perfect paradise, good communication with God, no sin in the way. Enters sin, and humanity is perverted until the end of this world. The only person who has come into this world since the first Adam is the second Adam who lived perfectly normal. He's how we're meant to be. 
without sin, perfectly related to our Father. God designed us so that he would live in us. And so now we start getting a taste of that as we yield ourselves to, the, to Christ and his Holy Spirit. And someday in eternity, we will be perfectly normal humans again. And that's a bit good picture for us to, to keep in mind as we live this life. We are frail, but God is not. And his faithful love and care is eternal to those who fear him. This is verses 17 to 19. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. We are frail, but God is eternal. And he invites those who fear him into an everlasting relationship with him where we can experience his love, his compassion, and his righteousness. If you want to experience those three things, we need to be living in fear of the Lord to experience his love, his compassion, and his righteousness. Those are the things that God has for us when we properly fear him. And that relationship is only established in surrendering ourselves to Jesus Christ and asking his Holy Spirit to live in us. And then it's matured by obeying God and living with him day in and day out. Verse 19 talks about the sovereignty of God. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. That would sound like everything should be perfect, right? If God's ruling over everything, shouldn't it be working properly? There shouldn't be atrocities like we see at Sandy Hook Elementary School. That's what we immediately think if God's sovereign over all these things. One of the things we need to understand about God is that his will is, there's a sovereign will and there's a moral will. The moral will is the things that we have choice over about the right or wrong to do, right? We can choose, are we going to do sin or are we going to please God? We can choose that as Christians. Let's make that clear. People who don't know Christ don't have the same opportunity to choose to honor God with their lives because they don't know Jesus. They're stuck in an area where they can't honor God with their lives. But as Christians, we have that choice. So there's choice that we can make to obey or disobey God, but then there's God's sovereign will that's never thwarted, that can't, we can't do anything about, and that we can't comprehend. And every time I look at the world and wonder, why in the world does this happen? Lord, what are you doing here? He hardly ever gives an answer to me, except by pointing me back towards Jesus Christ and saying, look at what happened to my son. Look what happened when he was on earth and the sin that took place to him, the persecution he faced, the death on the cross that he faced. Do you think any of those things pleased me in that way? No, of course, those were all evil things. Yet according to my sovereign plan, that all worked towards the good so that you could have salvation in Christ. So we need to be sure that God is always sovereign. He is always in control. And for that, we praise him. The last three verses, David calls the whole universe to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Luke 2, verses 13 to 14 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And you go to Revelation, we hear of angels talked about 77 times in the book of Revelation. 
And one of the things they're found doing is praising God. All the angels around the throne were singing, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Angels worship God perfectly. But David tells them to praise him. He then goes to say, Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. In an earlier psalm, Psalm 19, verse 1, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Everything that God has created outside of humans, praise him as he intended. Isn't that huge to know? Everything praises God as he intended, except for us. And that's why David ends the very last line, Praise the Lord, O my soul. It all starts with me praising God, and it all ends with me praising God. In between, I can tell the nations, I can tell my neighbors, I can tell the angels, but it needs to be bookended with my life doing that. And when we do that, then we can know that God is praised in and through our lives. All creatures are called to bless him since they are blessed by him, each according to its nature and need. If they have consciousness, they owe him praise. If they have not, they praise him by being. We praise God through our words and our lives. Praising God means remembering all that he has done for us, fearing him and obeying his commandments, and doing his will. So at this Christmas time, we have to say, do our lives praise the Lord? I want to conclude with a story I just read about this last week. A missionary by the name of Robert Kennedy, he was a missionary to South America, and uh, he had gone down to Brazil and had met a native man there. And as he was talking with an through an interpreter to this man, he had no clue that this, this man was a believer already. And uh, he just asked him, he said, so um, what do you enjoy doing? It's a nice, simple question. What do you enjoy doing? And uh, the translator asked him and talks back. And his answer was being occupied with God. And, and he said, that can't be right. He said, you must have translated something. Or ask him again. What do you enjoy doing? And the man's response was being occupied with God. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to be occupied with him. He doesn't want us to be distracted about all the other good things that are going on. And I can tell you, Christmas is a dangerous time for that. We can be so distracted by all the very good things that are happening that we might forget to spend time with God on the day that we're celebrating him. And I really want to encourage you that throughout your day, that doesn't mean that you have to be secluded in a room just alone with God. It just means that we're acknowledging him throughout our days. When we're with our, with our friends, wherever we're going, that we acknowledge his presence. On my Bible at home, I uh, have a spot where I regularly read, and I have a little uh, pocket watch. And uh, the pocket watch only works for about 24 hours before I need to wind it again. So every time I read my Bible, I wind up my watch, and then I close it, and I put it back on my Bible. And uh, it's sort of a reminder to me that quite often when I get there and it's not working anymore, I'm thinking, hmm, Doug, you're losing life right now. You, you haven't been putting your time with your Savior in the way that you need to in his word. Again, we know that we spend time with God all day, but there is something very precious about spending time with him in his word. I just want to encourage you. How are you being occupied with God? The word praise and the word bless are pretty much synonymous in this psalm. 
So I could also ask you, how are you going to bless God this Christmas? How do you want to bless God this Christmas? And how are you going to invite other people to bless God with you? With that, please stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God that's worthy to be praised. And uh, again, Lord, that we can never be afraid of saying too much of your praise. We should only be afraid of not saying enough. Lord, help us to be people who uh, live lives that are obviously centered on you. Lord, help us not to be so easily distracted. Lord, help us not to be so forgetful. And help us grow in our praise of you. And Lord, may that praise cause us to call, call others to know you. And Lord, in that, may this world be changed for your glory. Lord, we grieve for every area where your name and your kingdom is not acknowledged. And yet we know that you are sovereign and that you are in control. And Lord, we ask that your kingdom come in us. We ask that that happens in our own personal lives. We ask that this happens in our church, that your kingdom is here. And we ask that you use us to spread your kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ, to those we meet. Use us, Lord, to show love and compassion so that people can see their need of you and the danger of sin, how sin just wants to kill and destroy and how you only desire to give life. We love you so much. In the precious name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Have a wonderful Christmas week. Remember, tomorrow we're meeting here for either 4.30 or for 6 o'clock for our Christmas Eve service.